Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I want to talk to you today about fear again. Fear is, I just want to say this, fear is Satan's tool to keep you from moving on with God. That's what it is. That's what fear is. You know, and fear, if we will let fear in our lives, it will actually keep us from fully entering all that God has for us to do. It's something that he uses, Satan uses, to derail us from our calling and uh, our purpose in this life. We can't let him do that. You know, wherever God is working, wherever things are happening, there's always going to be people who refuse to enter in because they're afraid. And it pops up, it shows up in all kinds of different ways. It could be fear of the unknown, you know, just the unknown, or fear of change. It's something they're not used to. It could be fear of new responsibilities. I mean, come on, when he gives you authority, he gives you responsibility, right? You've got to do something with the authority that you have in Christ. It could just be fear of man. I mean, a lot of times people are afraid of what people think of them, and it's a real fear. And it may take all these different expressions, but it all, you know, the root of it always comes back to fear, fear. And so a couple of weeks ago, before Mother's Day and before our mission Sunday, I spoke on um, fearing no evil. But today I want to uh, kind of continue the next, next uh, installment of that, if you will. And I want to talk about living beyond fear, living beyond fear. And I wanted to subtitle it, and you'll see why. Um, I want to call it The Problem with Miracles. I think that's a more catchy title, don't you? The Problem with Miracles. But if I said The Problem with Miracles, it wouldn't be like Nick wouldn't have fear in the title. So I don't know. Not that Bruce ever calls them what I say anyway. So I don't know. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, it's a fear no evil. No, that was last, those two weeks ago. What I say? Living beyond fear, um, The Problem with Miracles. Um, you know, we're all called to a supernatural life. Amen. You know, babies like Joseph was sharing, you know, uh, it could have turned out other ways for other people. So sometimes it does. You know, we prayed and that night after we prayed that that baby turned around and strength began to come and, and healing began to come. We've all experienced different things in our lives where we've prayed, we've gone to God for and we've seen his hand working in our lives. And so we're, we're, we're called to this supernatural life. But whenever we come up to anything new for the first time or anything that's unusual to us or something we've not done before, there's always the opportunity to fear, right? the opportunity to fear. I don't think, yeah. And so even if fear is present in our hearts and minds, I just want to say we can still choose to go on with God and be involved with what he is doing. And that's what we have to do. We've got to, even beyond the fear, we've got to say, I'm going to go on with God. This is what he has for me. And I'm going to do it whether I'm afraid or not. You know, one day Jesus was um, uh, teaching on the seashore, like he did a lot of times. And uh, he, he, they, he, he got into a boat of one of the disciples and He's sitting there in the boat, and he's teaching. The people are on the shore, and he turns to the disciples, and he says, let's go on to the other side, right? So they jump in the boats. There's several boats with them, and they head out across the sea. And as they're going across the sea, uh, there's a super windstorm just comes up, just as about ready to sink them. I mean, the winds are kicking up the water. The water's breaking over the boat. The boat's filling up with water. And it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, that Jesus was in the stern of the boat asleep on a cushion. I don't know how he can sleep through that, but he must, he either was really tired or he just didn't care. <laughs> One of the two, but he is sound asleep. He's sleeping on a cushion in the middle of this windstorm. And they woke him and they said to him, 
Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Like, don't you care that we're dying here? See, fear causes you sometimes to react in ways that maybe later you wished you wouldn't have. I mean, think about it. Could you imagine accusing Jesus of not caring? Uh, You know, but come on, does God not get the blame for all kinds of stuff all the time? God, don't you care? Come on, we're all guilty of that, aren't they? I guess, you know, (laughs) there's people out there who blame God for everything wrong in their life. It's not my actions. It's not my choices. It's not my responsibility. God, why did you let this happen? I need to be careful about having that accusing attitude. You know, I'm sure they regretted it later. But here's what's interesting to me. Jesus doesn't always just jump up and respond the way you want him to, right? You know, I guess they wanted him to be sitting there worried like they were. And the fact that he's laying there sleeping like a baby, well, maybe not like a baby. (laughs) I know how babies sleep. They're awake every two hours. But because he's laying there sleeping sound and not worried by the wind and the waves, I mean, they're, they're they're getting infuriated, man. He's irritating them. Jesus, we're sitting here bailing water. Don't you care? And verse 39 says, he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. And he said, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he turns to them and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, I think they, um, when you call out to God in a time of need, we need not to be surprised if he does something other than what we expect. Do you know what I'm saying? I think they probably really expected him to get up and get a bucket, start bailing, start working, bring in the sail, whatever they were doing, because they were the experts. And here they are with this rabbi in the boat, and he's sleeping. They're like, wake up, come on, all hands on deck. It's an emergency. And what does he do? He gets up, and he speaks. He talks to the weather, and all of a sudden, it's calm. And, you know, they wanted Jesus to help out in a certain way, right? And so when you call out to God in your time of need, don't be surprised if he does something that you don't expect. You know, we're like, Jesus, come on here. I'm drowning in my job, you know, or, or um, you know, my wife doesn't listen to me. Not my wife. She listens very well. She, she needs to listen so she can tell me what to do. But she's gone so I can do that. No, she's, I'm sure she's hearing everything. No, but I mean, you're, you know, you, maybe you're in school and it's like, God, I'm just drowning in these classes. Help me out here. Whatever it is, I'm drowning in these bills, you know, and you, and you want him to take you, you want him just to come and help you in the situation and get all panicked like you and work the system you're working. But maybe he's got a whole different way that you've not imagined yet to get you where you need to be, right? Come on. What's that old song? When I call on Jesus, all things are, Jay knows it, come on, all things are possible. All things are possible. I mean, you step into the realm of limitless possibility when you call on Jesus. And so here he is, you know, they're wanting him to uh, uh, help out, and he's got a whole different thing. And he wakes up, and he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, peace, be still. And what I think is fascinating in this passage is they were more afraid of Jesus calming the storm than they were of the storm itself. Did you get that? I mean, look at their reaction. They weren't expecting him to speak. They were expecting him, like I said, to help out. But he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, they challenged Jesus' faithfulness. They did. But he's challenging their faith. 
See, the implication here is this. You guys have been with me long enough. You've walked with me long enough. You know me. You've heard of my reputation. You should have a little bit of faith by now. You should know something about my nature and my character and my will and what I want. If I say I'm going to the other side, guys, we're going to make it. Just stay with me. We're going to make it. But they were questioning that. They were questioning that. Come on, this is a serious charge if you think about it. Because they weren't, look, they weren't questioning their own ability to do, their own ability to believe. They weren't sitting there, oh, God, I'm just having a hard time believing. I know, I just don't know if I can believe. No, they were accused, they were looking at Jesus and saying, I don't know if he's trustworthy or not. I don't know if I can trust him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's, it's, um, um, when, when you're looking at, uh, Find my, find my notes here. The prop, here, here's what faith is. Faith is the proper response to his faithfulness. That's what it is. My response to his faithfulness is trusting him, believing him, being fully persuaded that he'll do what he can do. You just don't have faith because you want faith. I mean, the way we use faith in our culture today is like, you just got to have faith. Faith in what? And we say, well, believe in yourself. Well, that's not going to go very far. You can only do so much. We're talking about faith in God. That's what we're talking to. See, you want to put your trust in things that are trustworthy. You want to rely on things that are reliable, and you need to put your faith in somebody who's faithful. And when they doubted Jesus, it was a, it was a, a questioning his character. It was questioning his willingness to help. It was questioning his faithfulness. Because why? Because to know him is to trust him, and trusting him sets you free from fear. But they'd not learned that lesson yet, did they? They're sitting there, and I love what the next verse says, because, um, well, it says in verse 41, they were filled with great fear, okay? They were afraid. <laughs> He's like saying, why don't you, why are you, why are you afraid? And then after he does the miracle, they're filled with great fear. It didn't help them. And, it, and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This just proves that they did not know who was in their boat, they're looking there. Who is this? This man speaks to the weather. Now, these guys are fishermen. They've been out on that lake a long time. Undoubtedly, they'd sat around, you know, so separating their fish, talking about all the news of the day. And they're like, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, what about him? Oh, well, he got caught in one of those windstorms, never came back. That's the kind of windstorms that would blow down that lake in the valley. They knew the danger of, of the situation they were in. And so they have a miracle the wind stopped, the waves calmed down, and now they're more afraid than when they began. Because why? The problem with miracles. This miracle created more problems for them than it actually solved. Think about that. This is what I want to say. The problem with miracles, because now they've got to decide, who is this in my boat, and what are we going to do with him? What am I going to do with Jesus? And how are things going to be different in my life if I continue to follow this man? And, you know, here's the disciples in the boat. you got to give them credit. They, they know, you know, they're fishermen. They know what fishermen are supposed to do. But, you know, here's the thing. We all want Jesus to react the way we want him to react. But if they didn't know what to do in the situation, and look, many times we don't know what to do. All they really needed to do is awaken him without accusing him, without questioning his character. Say, Lord, i got a situation here. How should we handle this? Think about it. And he said, oh, what's the problem? Oh, windstorm. We're sinking. We're taking on water. Well, go speak to it. Okay, okay, we'll do that. What do you want me to tell it? Well, tell it to stop. 
okay, okay. And they would have gone up there in his authority and they would have done the exact same thing that he did. And it would have been a whole new world of possibilities for them. They could have done that. The wind and the waves would have obeyed them, but that would have meant for them to take action, to take some responsibility, and they just weren't quite ready for that. They didn't see that yet, did they? They didn't understand it. So um, I want to read this uh, other passage about D- Jesus when he meets the demoniac. This is a, in, in Luke, and I really was trying to chop this down and, and just abbreviate it, but you really, I've got to read kind of the whole thing a little bit. You need some context on this one, okay? Luke chapter 8. This is a different story. They're on the boat again, but they come over to the uh, the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. They're going across the lake, and Jesus steps out on the land, and I'm sorry if I didn't say it. It's Luke 8, 26, um, verse 27. Jesus stepped out on the land, and there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, this man has worn no clothes. He's not lived in a house, but he's lived among the tombs, Okay. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, rather, he cried out and fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command him to depart to the abyss. I think that's interesting. That tells me two things. One, the demons knew who Jesus was. The demons knew that the disciples didn't, but the demons knew that Jesus was the one who's coming to judge the world, right? Secondly, they knew their destination. The devil knows where he's going to end up, guys. The demons know what their judgment is. The judgment is already passed. They're just waiting for that to be executed. That's the time we're living in. God's giving us a time to wait so people can be saved. Otherwise, everybody comes under Satan's judgment. And that's what God says. He doesn't want the world to be judged. He doesn't want the, you and me and other people to come under the judgment that's in the world. You can read that in John 3. It's right after John 3, 16. It talks about those who believe on him have escaped judgment. What judgment? This judgment. The judgment that these demons are under, that they know they're under. So they knew who Jesus was and they knew their destiny. So they say there's a large herd of pigs there in verse 32, and it was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged the demons. They're begging Jesus to enter these. So Jesus gives them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. I have no idea what that looked like. I don't know how you would reenact it if you're doing the Jesus TV show or whatever, but the demons came out of the pigs or out of the man, went into the pig, and killed like 2,000 pigs, okay? Pretty pretty amazing stuff here, That the authority of Jesus over this situation. Verse 34, this is where I want, I want you to get this. This is so cool. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus. Listen to what they find. The man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen how seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. This is a problem with miracles, man. <laughs> you get a miracle, you set somebody free, people get afraid. Listen, they had made peace with this man living naked in the cemetery. Think about it. That was their new normal, 
right? That's not how things are supposed to be. I don't know if you know that or not. You're not supposed to be having people living naked in the cemetery. But he was, and they've accepted it. It became their normal. They got used to it. They made peace with it. And they lived with it so long that this is just, oh, who is that? Oh, that's that guy who lives naked in the cemetery. They got used to it. So as long as nothing upsets the balance, as as perverted as it is, just don't mess things up, you know? And then Jesus comes along and he sets the man free. Now he's sitting there with clothes on. He's in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And now the whole country is paralyzed with fear. I don't know. Is it the fear of change? The fear of the unknown? Maybe. Right? How about the fear of living in a new freedom? Come on, that's that's big, isn't it? A lot of people don't step into freedom because there's a big responsibility and there's a lot of unknown things associated with living in freedom. But it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We've got to overcome the fear of that so we can step into all that he has for us or we'll allow something in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit to hold us back from all that he has for us. Isn't it sad? I think it'll be a tragedy when we go to heaven if we find out that I never entered into what I was supposed to because of just something I've let hold me back. I mean, it's easy if I can blame other people or blame my circumstance or my culture or my society or my my finances or whatever. But what if it was just me, man? What if it's just fear, junk I left in my heart kept me from running with God? Is it the fear of the responsibility of living free? Here's the thing. They were more comfortable with the man naked and crying out in the tombs than they were with him clothed and in their right mind. So why is it that people would rather keep things the same sometimes than take a chance on being free? And what if you could be free from the attitudes and mindsets that have kept you entering into all that God has for you? Think about that. I mean, I ask myself this question all the time. I mean, do I really want to be free? Really, do I really want to? Because, or do I just want to, is it enough for me just to say I want all that has God has for me. I just, oh God, I want everything you have. God, just take me and and use me. I'm here for you. But then are my decisions and how I live my life, are they they, uh, uh, situated just to keep everything exactly the same as it's always been? It's a fair question, isn't it? Because if we're not careful as a church, um, we can get to the point where, man, we just reward the right speech. You know what I'm saying? It's enough for us to get together as a group and call out and say, God, I want revival. You know what a good message is in church is how bad the world is and how bad we want God to move. That's a good message, man. We can have church and everybody give you a stamp of approval for saying those things, for learning those phrases. But do I really want God to move? How bad do I want him to move? What about taking personal responsibility for my actions? What about taking personal responsibility for my reactions? Come on, that's even better, right? Actions are deliberate. Reactions are just like off the handle. You know, what if I take responsibility for how I react to situations? What about doing things that would position me to be used by God? Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone, what's that word, anyone? If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
So I ask myself, do I really want a move of God or am I just comfortable where I'm at? You know, the Jewish people in Jesus' time, boy, they let everybody know, I'm looking for the Messiah. We need the Messiah, the Savior of Israel to come. We want him. We'll welcome him. We need him. We're waiting and watching and hoping and longing and praying that God will send the Messiah. And when their Messiah comes, they were too comfortable with a little deal they worked out with Rome to take the risk of upsetting the fruit basket, You know, if you know what I'm saying, and going with Jesus. They were afraid. It's the problem with miracles, man. <laughs> they mess you up. You can't be afraid. You've got to go. You've got to go with God. What happens if they would have gone with God? They were too comfortable at the time with the political arrangement with Rome, and they wouldn't receive Jesus because they didn't want to lose what they had, even though what they had was not what God was looking for for them. They were hanging on. You know, we're living in a time when things are changing fast. You guys know that. The future is uncertain. You know, there's a lot of end-time prophets who are speculating where America is going to be in the end times before Jesus comes, and nobody really knows, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of unknown. I mean, things are bad now. I think we can agree on that. Uh, but many people would rather have the bad now that they are familiar with than a real move of God in our nation. Because if there's a real revival, what if there is a real move of God starting in our university campuses? Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, I'm talking to people who have a heart. I mean, I know you. what I'm talking. I want that, don't you? But think about what's going to happen in our country if that's a real move of God, right? What if it's the beginning of a Jesus movement, you know, like back in the 60s or whatever? What's going to happen? First of all, it's going to upset the power structure like you wouldn't believe. It's just going to be stood on its head, right? Political people who've controlled a generation of thinking are going to find themselves suddenly on the outside looking in. Their power will be gone. But so will a bunch of religious leaders who think they're leading the church. They're going to find themselves on the outside looking in too if they don't step in and embrace the move of God. And fear will keep you out. We've got to go on with what God is doing. So God's going to have to raise up new leaders to lead these people, new leaders who haven't made peace with the way things are. So here, the deliverance of the demon-possessed man, like I said, created more problems than it solved. If we're going to move on with God, we've got to live beyond our fear of these problems and go with what God is doing. I got a question. Can I live? Is it possible for me to live beyond my fear? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, I, when I was, uh, I did an internship in New York for... Um, uh, where, where Tara is headed today to New York Metro Ministries. Yeah, I can't wait to hear a report back for her. But uh, I was up there 20 some years ago or maybe longer now. I'm not going to count. Um, but uh, one of the things that they were real big on at the time was facing your fears. And they took us all to Connecticut when we first got there and made us do one of those team ropes courses, you know what I'm saying? Where you have to climb and do all this crazy stuff and they're trying to pull you off. I'm telling you, they wanted us to face our fears. I'm telling you, that was not a fear for me, man. That was just fun. I enjoyed it. Other people were afraid, a few of them, but most of us were like, man, we were aggressive. We had fun. That wasn't facing fears. No, you want to go tell me just to stand on the corner of the street and start preaching or something or confront somebody. Yeah, that's maybe a fear, you know, but there, there's the attitude that we need to, why, why, why would we say face your fears or confront your fears? Because we don't want something inside of me to hold me back. That's all. If it's, if, if it's a limitation that God's not put on there, let's just, let's take it out of our lives. Let's do things. You know, if you're afraid of public speaking or something, take a class on it. You know what I mean? Do something to position yourself where you can enter in and do the things that God's maybe called you to do without being afraid. 
And so um, another thing I, I, I like this, you can accomplish the things that you're afraid to do. There was a book, and I never read the book. I think it was a Joyce Meyer book, but I've seen the title, and it was called Do It Afraid. I never read the book. It's not an advertisement for the book at all, but I, that title stayed with me, man. 20 years, I'm still, I can still see that title, Do It Afraid. I like that, man. There are some things we need just to do and do it afraid. We don't need to worry about whether or not I'm afraid. I may, I may be afraid, but is it right? That's the question. Do I need to do this? Is this something that God wants me to do? And if it is, man, then go do it afraid, right? Come on. Fear of the unknown goes away after you learn something, right? So step into it. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All right? Verse 3, this is the one I want to focus on. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is Paul, the apostle, man, saying, I was with you in weakness I was with you in fear, and I was with you in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. My words weren't because I was eloquent and versed in rhetoric and could say things without stuttering. No, man, he came in fear and trembling when he showed up into Corinth. And if you want to know why he did, just look at the situation that he was in. Understand this, you've got to go to Acts, and I'm not going to turn you there. I'm just going to give you a quick summary, but if you want to jot it down and study it later, it's Acts 16, 17, and the first part of verse 18. This is what is known as the second missionary journey in the book of Acts. And so him and Silas, his helper, they're there, and they're wanting to go, and they're visiting the churches that they'd been to before, or him, Paul and Barnabas had been there. Paul and Silas are on the second trip, and they get this vision. Paul gets this vision of a man from Macedonia asking for help. We call it the Macedonian call. And so Paul, being the kind of person he is, he's like, man, God must be sending us to Macedonia. So they, they head to Philippi, man, like the major city in Macedonia, and that's where they go. And he gets straight to Philippi, and there he and Silas get arrested, beaten, imprisoned, <laughs> and then escorted out of town. So they go on to Thessalonica. And the Jews from Philippi follow him to Thessalonica, and they stir up the crowds against him. So he literally escapes by night, sneaks out of the city by night, and goes to Berea. And the Bereans, they heard him for a little while, but it wasn't long before the Jews from Thessalonica came and found him and began to stir up trouble against him. So he escaped this time by a boat and goes to Athens. I mean, the man is literally running from town to town to town. He goes to Athens and he meets with the Areopagus there and uh, he starts talking about the resurrection and they start making fun of him. So he leaves that place and he arrives in Corinth, finally. So you can understand now why he is there in fear and in weakness and much trembling, the man has literally been on the run for who knows how long, from city to city to city, escaping by night, escaping by sea, and he arrives at Corinth. And when he spoke, I mean, I'm sure there was temptation just to say, I'm going to chill out. And this is a big city, a lot of people coming through. I'm going to get a room. I'm going to chill out for a day, man. I want to rest. I don't need this, right? But what did he do? He came. He decided to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. He did it in the weakness of his flesh, but by the power of the Spirit. He lived beyond his fear. He did it afraid, didn't he? He did it anyway. You know, I know when he arrived in town, his first thoughts probably 
all right, so how am I going to escape this city when it comes time? <laughs> there's a port over there. There's a port over there. <laughs> Where's the walls? Where can you be let down in a basket? You know, whatever. He's looking for a way out. But uh, here's the thing. The devil's using fear because he's trying to get him to stop preaching Jesus Christ. Fear is the devil's tool to get you to back off of what God is calling you to do. I mean, come on. Did God send Paul? Yeah, man. I mean, you can read in Acts, is it, where is it, 17? or No, I don't remember now. But the, the first, uh, when they, they said, separate Paul to me and send him out to this work. It's in there. And then the Macedonian call was a vision, you know, from God to go to. So he's on, he's doing the will of God. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But the fear is there. I can imagine Paul praying, oh, God, did I miss you? <laughs> Am I really supposed to be here? Did I overstep my authority? Did I act in presumption? What's going on, God? And God's, you know, you can imagine then how comforting it must have been when God showed up in his room and he tells him in Acts chapter 18 and verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, this is in Corinth, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there for a year and a half teaching the word of God to them. How comforting that must have been in the middle of all his fear and anxiety and worry about whether he should go, go for it or not. See, if we're going to go on with God, we've got to go on beyond our fears. Amen? So finally, the last one I want to tell you about, the last fear is the fear of man. The fear of man. This is a big one. This is a big one. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And I love the story. It goes on for like two chapters, it seems like. And there's all this dialogue back and forth. But basically, Jesus heals this man. He makes spit, puts it in his eyes, tells him to go wash off in the clay. So basically, the man doesn't recognize Jesus right away because he's blind until he washes. And then he finds him later. But uh, the man uh, uh, went to the Jews and, and said, hey, this man named Jesus healed me after he found out who he was, which obviously created a problem because the Jews were against Jesus at that time, especially at that time in his ministry. Um, verse 18 of chapter 9, the Jews did not believe that this man had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parent, the parents of the man who had received his sight. So they called the guy's parents in and they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So they're asking, they may have, they already grilled the man. If you read the story, it's great. They already grilled the man like three times. Now they're asking the parents. So how does this, how does he see? And uh, the, his parents answered verse 20. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. Yep, definitely. But how he sees, well, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. And verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was put out of the synagogue. Fear of man. Fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare. Right? But the pressure is real. I mean, we're seeing it all over. I mean, it's not just social pressure to conform. You know, we talk about peer pressure for young kids. I mean, when, when you're younger, I mean, it's just devastating to think that, oh, I might not fit in. I mean, that's a real pressure. Sometimes you live life long enough, you get a little older, you don't really worry about fitting in because you realize you don't fit in. You've already tried that. I'm just who I am, you know. But uh, 
there, there is beyond just pressure. I mean, uh, there's real pressure to conform. They were concerned about being actually kicked out of the synagogue. Okay. But today, I mean, if you stand up for truth, you can lose your job. I mean, it's, it's real. It's a real thing. Your livelihood is at stake. But let me ask you this. What if the, the parents of this man would have embraced the miracle and become followers of Jesus? What if they would have? What possibilities could have opened for them in their lives? Another way to say this would be, what did they give up? What did they give up to stay in good standing with the synagogue rulers? Think about it like that. Because, I mean, think about the synagogue. Man, their power was coming to an end anyway. I mean, it was about another, I mean, it was a long time. But eventually the synagogues were gone. I mean, the whole town, Jerusalem was gone, you know. Their, their power was only temporal. The, the power structures that we see here now, I mean, maybe they'll be here for the rest of our life. Maybe they won't. But they're temporal. They're temporal. We're serving a God who's got the big picture in mind. His power never ends. His program never ends. Man, I just want to run my part in it, don't you? I want to do what I'm supposed to be here. Now, he says when you're interacting with the world, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? I mean, he's not saying that if you have a job and you can't say certain things to go there and make a big stand necessarily. You need to be, you know, you need to do it prayerfully, right? Uh, you need to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. I mean, we say that, well, brother, use wisdom. A lot of times we mean that just to say, don't believe God. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, come on, believe me, stand for me, be a light, be a witness. But man, use wisdom. The people of this world are wise. I'll give you a wisdom that they can't refute. When Stephen stood there before the council, it did cost him his life. But man, what made them so mad is he stood there with a the wisdom that they could not argue with. And then God lit him up and his face glowed like an angel. And that messed them up too. That always helps. If, if you're arguing with somebody, if your face starts glowing like an angel, that will help you win the argument or get you killed. I don't know. No guarantee. Just be ready for it either way, okay? Um, but still, come on, we have something to do here. And we need to pray. We need to seek God for wisdom. We need to know how to engage this world because the things that we're, maybe if you've been in the church for a while and you're used to, man, they don't necessarily reach because the language has changed. Things have changed, right? But God's power is still ready and present and ready to meet needs in this culture that we're living in right now. And boy, what doors would that open up if we would really quit just saying, I want a move of God, but actually be willing to step into it and be a move of God. Come on, right? I'm ready to be a move of God. Are you? But if we're going to do that, we have got to live beyond our fears. We've got to live beyond our preconceived ideas of what they are like out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Man, I mean, here's my challenge to you. Find somebody you're uncomfortable with today, this week. Just find somebody you're uncomfortable with and talk to them. I mean, don't witness to Talk to them. Conversation. Hi, how are you doing? Now, some people are really good at that. Some of y'all are more outgoing than I am and stuff. But if, you've, if there's people that you're afraid to talk to, man, just talk to them. Because why? Because just that open door there can now communicate Jesus. If you don't ever talk, you're not going to ever get to impart something to them. So find somebody you're uncomfortable with. Talk to them. Smile. If you can't talk, start with a smile. It helps. Just start with a smile and talk and pray and pray and see what God will do. Do I really want to move of God with my life? You know, here's the thing. The parents of that man who was born blind, I mean, they must have been excited for their son. But come on, that miracle caused more problems for them than their son being born blind.
They could have been just a great member of the society, good synagogue attenders, and uh, had a blind son, and everybody been, oh, you know, you, you, you know, here's some money for your son, whatever. You guys are such good parents, whatever. But here's the thing: when Jesus came in and did what He did, it messed them up and it created problems. If we're going to see God move, man, just get ready for the problems. It's going to create an aftermath, right? There'll be things we've got to learn how to prayerfully answer. We've got to answer what, what God is doing. We've got to explain what God is doing to a generation who maybe doesn't even know who he is. So do I really want a God, a move of God in my life? Yeah. Consider the cost because there will be a price, but we've got to overcome the fear. Got to overcome the fear. And in closing, I just want to say this and, uh, um, I don't have, I'm not going to bring the band up or anything. So just let this be your, your soft musical reflecting time. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sorry. I can be so irreverent sometimes. Can't I <laughs> think about this Philippians chapter one and verse 27. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We are not supposed to be frightened of those who oppose the gospel or who oppose us because we stand for the gospel. Our confidence before God, you know, it may win them, it may not. It may cause them to be curious. How can you not be afraid when we're ready to take everything from you? That was a, a witness to people in the early church when they lost things. But your boldness to stand there and not give in to the fear and stand for the truth is a sign. It's a sign to them of their destruction because they can see next to your confidence the bankruptcy of their life. And they can say, man, this life has no end, man. I continue down this road. It's a sign of my destruction. I'm going with what he's got because I don't have that peace. I don't have that boldness. I don't have that confidence. I'm in turmoil every night living this lifestyle. It's a sign of their destruction. And it's also a sign of your salvation. Come on. Your salvation brings confidence to you. It brings, it makes you solid, you know? If you're really walking in it, man, it makes us solid people. We're not supposed to be just jumping around flighty, flighty, flighty different way. There's a solidness to a Christian's walk, and that's what we're talking about. Do not be, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We're supposed to be living a life by God and living without fear. Amen. We're not going to get anything done for God while we're here until we can overcome these fears. And uh, I don't know what kind of fear it is. Any kind of fear. It's worth, it's worth attacking. It's worth overcoming. It's worth just defying it on purpose. You know what I mean? I defy you, fear. <laughs> you, can't, you say, I can't do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to go do it just to prove that you don't have anything on me or anything in me. It's one of the things that Jesus could do when he went to the cross. You know, he said, the prince of this world is coming, talking about Satan, but he has nothing in me. Man, I don't want Satan to have a peace in my heart, in my mind, a, a fear, a phobia, something in my mind that he can, a place where he can grab hold of and work. I want God to have me 100%. You?
Amen. Father God, we just love you. We thank you. We thank you that we can live beyond ourselves because of what Jesus has done. We thank you the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask that you just cause us to come into this place where we can walk and manifest Jesus Christ on this earth, Lord, that we can, our lifestyle, our bold confidence in worshiping you and serving you, walking and living clean, pure, and holy lives before you, Lord, will be a sign, Lord, of not only of our salvation, but the utter bankruptcy of the 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 lifestyle that the world is pursuing. Father God, let it let it bring people into your kingdom. But Lord, let us be the people who you use to do that because we walk beyond ourselves and we walk beyond our fear. In Jesus' name I pray. If you're with me, give me a big amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.